You will admit you come at this at an, at an oblique angle. We will begin a mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess, and we will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. Welcome to yet another Area 51 recording of Sci-Fi Saturday Night, the only podcast to guarantee that if you listen, you hear stuff. This week in episode 451, we expect to return to a place that we have been to before. So let's see how that works out. Today, we have what we we are in another uh, pandemonium pandemic show because of the need for social distancing and the clogging of the intertubes and the whole world is on the web, and it's difficult to get a solid signal. So we are using a paired-back cast and hoping for the best. In the Area 51 broadcast facility tonight, it's just the Dome and me, Captain Cam, privateer of the podcast world. And, of course, well, to keep ourselves busy, because there's not a lot you can do when you're locked inside Area 51, the Dome has taken up an online course in the Vulcan mind meld and has been using me for his tests. Learned anything interesting, Dome? Oh, I do, but there's not a chance we're talking about it live. <laughs> oh, 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 no. Those, those those impure thoughts you have about Betty White are not to be talked about in public. I did, however, uh, want to say that I did have uh, an interesting chat with both Kriana and Zombrarian this week. And Kriana got the T1 line connected uh, uh, properly to her machinery. And as soon as your T1 line is connected, she thinks we can get back to a, a better than better cast, uh, uh, structure than we currently have, uh, with little or no fallout. So we're looking forward to that. I'm definitely looking forward, uh, to having most of the team back. And uh, Lord knows uh, what what can uh, what, what can happen once we have the Snarkettes back in town. Almost oh, definitely, we we have missed them. Most definitely, Kriana Zombrarian, we've missed you. Uh, so, so 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 tell me, Captain Cameron. <laughs> yes, Dom. <laughs> who do we have on the show tonight? <laughs> As he God, I love having, having absolutely nothing to do but, but point pokey with pointy sticks for the first five minutes. <laughs> yes, but did you have to light the mud fire first? Though? Absolutely, absolutely. I want to see All right. that. All right. Well, tonight on the show, we have Mark Watson, author of a fun collection of short stories called Between Conversations, all of which are set in a world that is a melding of science fiction and fantasy. To be a little more specific, it is a pre-post-apocalyptic science fiction world melded with epic fantasy. Which That's explains right. absolutely nothing. 
<laughs> could not yeah. make it more confusing if I tried. <laughs> exactly. Can we throw as many buzzwords into this as possible? I can try. <laughs> Good job there, by the way. I like well, that. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, it. I will also mention that this is this book of set of sorts stories is based off his earlier duology, uh, the Catching Fire uh, duology, where this world was first born. So I think we have a lot to talk about. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Kenneth, for having me on. It's the Catching Hell duology. Let's Catching Hell. What did I? What did I say? Catching Fire. Catching Fire. That was. Damn that it. Was- that was that's the fault of the vulcan mind melt you mess with my brain you're as dumb as <laughs> I, you see how difficult these intros are you thought this shit was easy you have it all written down i can see it right in front of you because it's on the page right in front of you and you fucked it up anyway you thought this was i love it see mark this is what we go through this is the shit that I take for two four hundred and fifty <laughs> shows. The shit is written down right in front of me, and I can't even read it. Oh no! His first shot out of the gate got the name of the books wrong. Good job. And, and I'm, but, I'm not like some other nicer authors who would just kind of let it slide. Maybe slide it in. Like, I'm going to call you out on it right away, I, right at the very oh, start. Uh, just uh, let's set hey. this boat right, folks. Hey, you got to keep me in line here. Otherwise, I'm just going to go right off the edge. Tastes good, <laughs> and it's good for you, too. Yes. <laughs> so let's let's get right to this, this, you know, between conversations, because let's face a couple of realities here. It's an interesting book, um, but God help anybody who doesn't understand you. And God help anybody who doesn't understand the way you write. And God help anybody who doesn't know what it means to be a writer, what it what it's like to read a writer who doesn't write the way everybody else does. Because every one of these short stories is very, very different. They have by design. Excuse me? By design. I designed them all to be different. Well, Jesus, I would hope so. (laughs) (laughs) And and have little or nothing to do with each other, but have quite a bit to do with, with two books which you don't mention except in the introduction to the last short story in the book. Right. It's the only one that has a blatant spoiler for the Catching Hell series. Everything else, it might involve maybe a character or a setting or two, but it doesn't actually spoil anything about the Catching Hell duology. Whereas the very last one, which is called A Conversation, Two Cold Cups of Coffee, is pure spoiler. But I, I warn everybody. And yeah, you, as, do. You, you do, which is let them actually know. why both Cam and I didn't bother... Well, didn't bother. Specifically decided not to read that story until we read the other two books. That's okay. There's still eight other juicy little morsels in there, so there we're am, good. There am. Yep. Uh, and it's and it's so difficult for me, and I think for Cam too, to figure out which one of these was my favorite because each one of them had. 
what is that word? Uh, and uh, God, I wish I could remember it now, but God, I can barely remember my name. I can um, only think of things that compliment me. All had your favorite part. All had the greatest writing you've ever seen in your entire life. All had. No, no, no. It's neither of those, but close. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. I was stretching anyway. I was reaching. You, you were. There was a thing on 60 Minutes Sunday, and it was a repeat, and it was with Anderson Cooper. Okay, I'm remembering things now. Synesthesia. That was the word. Mm, yes. Synesthesia is where. You can taste sound, or you can hear uh, um, um, a smell. Yeah, right. Where you where, where you process sense- senses differently through other right. senses. Right. Yeah. And and this this whole series of short sort stories kind of remind me in a large way of synesthesia, in which. You're doing things that don't quite work correctly the way they should, but I like it. Does that make any sense at all? You're, you are pretty much writing the entire epitaph of my writing career right now. <laughs> That's exactly, I could not have said it better myself, and I'm glad it came from someone else so I don't sound vain. Yes, no, you do. I have, no, no, I completely appreciate that for sure. I, I'm glad because you know, I, I, by the time I got to Daisy Crown, which is what the third story in, the third story yep. in, yeah. By the time I got to Daisy Crown, I'm going, okay, uh, I, I've read two stories, neither of which have anything to do with the other. I'm now on the third one, which has nothing to do with the other two. Uh, I, I'm liking it as much as I liked the first two. And it's as, 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 when did I slip back into the 60s and who put the psilocybin in my boss? How did this happen? Uh, how did you end up writing like this? Very little education it would be my first answer for you. I, <laughs> I, I have written for a long time. I've written pretty extensively since I was 15, but I only really started focusing on writing and putting myself out there four years ago. So I came at this after having half a lifetime of experience, but I only had rudimentary education when it comes to these kinds of things. I didn't go through all like the college classes and that kind of thing that teaches you how to properly structure a story and what have you. I wanted to just, I don't, nobody's got, fucking time for that honestly at least not right now not at this point in my life i wanted to write stories that i wanted to read but i wanted them to be in a way that i wanted to read them and i was at a point and i'm still at that point i haven't left it where i don't want to learn all about those structures and if you are someone who picks up one of my books or my stories and you're like i love the way that this is written it's so it's so much different it's far more casual but honest and that's something i get a lot about my my debut book was a story called death dresses poorly uh, released by fluky fiction out of maine so i i love that 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 new england sense that my editor was able to bring to it and that don't give a fuck attitude and that's what I get from it the most is like, this is 
how people talk. This is how these scenes react. And it's a far more honest approach. So I bring that through into these other genres. This collection, Between Conversations, is a collection of a bunch of different genres that I wanted to write in, just in the framework of that world I'd created. But I don't necessarily want to massively shift my writing style from one to the other. I want to make them approachable. You want to read like a YA style story, which is kind of what I crafted Daisy Crown to be. Great. If you want like cold-blooded horror, like what's uh, A Church in the Three Valleys, which is almost like a novelette. It's like a, it's a monster in the, in this collection. You're still going to get that same vibe of how I write, but. Whoa, 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 whoa. You, that's a, that's YA? Are you kidding me? Daisy Crown is about as close as I could possibly get to YA. Wow. <laughs> wow. That that it, it it's my stab at it in that the protagonist is about 14 years old. He's looking after his 10 year old sister. They go on their the adventure that they have, but there is some seriously dark elements in there, which I think is something that we're really seeing a lot in YA these days, which I honestly don't read a whole lot of it, but I certainly do see the movies. And well, you don't have choice. You got kids. I got kids, but they're not really. I'm, I'm going to say it right now, my kids aren't readers. They aren't consumers of the same kind of popular culture that that I am. They're completely different people, and I support them for whatever it is they're going to do. I'm not going to cram books down their throat that they're not going to want to read and then they're just going to be like well dad sucks because he's doing this like i read we went camping earlier this week actually i had the week off so i took the boys up camping and i'm sitting around the fire i'm like boys do you want me to read you a story because i just happen to have this collection here with me i had it i had uh, a few copies of it and i'm like can i read you one of these i think you guys might really like it and they're like yeah sure and i read it for them and they really enjoyed it but they're like well it's like you're just telling us a story. It's not like this is something that's going to go out in the world. I'm like, good. I think that's a great way of thinking about the way that I do this writing as well. So. Wow. That's, that's a really adult way of looking at it. Sure. It, it, it's, it's all I've really had to work with because like I said, I didn't have the education. I have gone to school since that faithful day, February 29th, 2016. That was the day I decided well, shit, I can do this. I have, I had Catching Hell done, but it was really, really rough. And I wanted to try and get it out there and, and get it picked up by a publisher, which eventually it did. And I, I did a few courses through a university up here, an online university called Athabasca. And those were incredibly helpful because I didn't know a noun from my ass. I really didn't. Like, I, I just... Some people can't read music in a certain way. I cannot process nouns and verbs in the way sentences are structured. I have tried and tried and tried. So I did the classes that I could just to make sure that I had a little bit of credibility for part of it. But the other part was that I kind of got to know a little bit what's going on without going for a full master's in English or something like that, that I know a lot of my colleagues have. Not that I'm disrespecting them at all, but that's their path and they're welcome to it. But ain't nobody got time for that seriously i i've got way too much other shit going on for me to worry about getting that education so as long as people pick up what i've got and they like it and so far my feedback has been overwhelmingly positive i'm just going to keep doing it because it seems to speak to people in a way that i don't think a lot of other things do it, it, 
Yeah, I'm still kind of hung in this whole synesthesia thing. <laughs> well, there's a lot of different there's a lot of different smells. There's a lot of different flavors. There's a lot of different sights in each of these stories. I mean, I've seen short story collections from other authors, and I think one of the major overlying things is I haven't seen a lot of collections like this one, where they all take place in the same world but they are all incredibly different. If they are a collection that takes place in the same world, they all have a similar theme or they involve the same characters or that kind of thing. And if they don't take place in the same world, well, then it's almost like they're all written by different people. And they're just like an anthology of some kind from some publisher's collection because they are incredibly different tones. I was going for everything in the same world while still having a variety of tones. But now I've also thrown in the fact that I wanted to write a horror story based on some stuff some influences that i had or i had a what i thought was a really good almost mm, fantasy militaristic style story in low level buzz that i had submitted to an, an anthology collection that wasn't picked up thankfully they picked up one of my other stories because i gave them two and i didn't want low level buzz to just disappear i thought that it was a nice little snippet and i might be able to use some of those characters later but they were all these different kinds of stories i wanted to write i, I had this great scene in my mind i'm like well who writes great scenes quentin tarantino writes a great scene <laughs> and so i get to the, the second last story in the collection which is six shotguns and a suicide slide and I just wanted to craft it like a Tarantino-esque scene, like the scene at the bar in Inglorious Bastards or that kind of thing. And Thank, thank so, you, because that, that's exactly what I was thinking, because I'm thinking this has got uh, definitely a Quentin Tarantino vibe to it. And there's also such a, a, a almost tongue-in-cheek sense of humor to it, you know, with how it ends. I just I love that. I think it's it's like like Dom said, it's tough to pick a story out, but that last one. The next to last one, six shotguns and a suicide slide was just fantastic, including the ending. Thank you. And I honestly got that. Like, I wanted to write a scene, and I, I, I figured that it had to have, like, that kind of catchy, flowing name. And I'd always kind of had something like six shotguns and a something s something s in my in my mind uh, like I, that feels like when you're watching a tarantino movie and the title cards come up between scenes and they have names that sounds like the kind of name that you would find in the middle of kill bill or or once upon a time in hollywood like it just it it doesn't really tell you anything but by the end of the story it tells you everything yep Yeah, and you, you've what you've got here is I, what I love about this is as and I, I've said this to Dome and I'll repeat this on the air. There is it's such a fun thing to read. The, this series of short stories can just be read on their own, and I equate it to having in 1974 entered a bomb shelter, refusing to come out until 2020 when everything was safe. Never having seen Star Wars, and the first thing you walk out is somebody hands you a book of short stories about Star Wars, and you go, ooh, this is really good stuff. But what is this Force thing they keep mentioning? And yes. what is, and who is this Luke Skywalker person? Why is he so important? And this is the, the, this is the only thing. Once I got past that and just enjoyed that I didn't really know everything about this, and it, it is a vast universe. 
you know, I really enjoyed these books, but it also, it made me, as I, I think I said to Dome, I said, it's like a Whitman sampler of Catching Hell. It's like, here's all the things you can expect from Catching Hell. Now go read Catching Hell. If you like the Whitman sampler, go read Catch, Catching Hell. And, and I just, and I jumped and I, on it. I, I, and I appreciate that, because that's, that was kind of the, like, I wanted to make these there, just for the listening audience, there is a prologue in the book. Uh, it's called Where Are We? And it is as brief a synopsis as I can possibly give of this world that you are about to live in for the following 65,000 words. And I wanted to just give the framework, but not necessarily say, hey, go out and read Catching Hell first, because I think that that's really going to set you up for this. I didn't want that because I wanted these stories to stand on their own. Obviously I wrote one at the end because that was one that I had in my mind. It was a it was a space in this storyline that I felt really needed to be filled, so I filled it. But as I said, I warned people about it. So I created this structure, this hey, this is what you need to know. This is what's happening in this world. It's 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 a it's a cribs notes version of it and here go off you go here's a conversation alive again with a bunch of unique characters enjoy yep so yeah and so, I, I get of you first though no no go, go ahead because one of the things that i've really come to realize between this and i have i'm like two-thirds of the way through the first catching hell book is that you created a this is was what's the the line from the Simpsons musical of uh, Planet of the Apes, it's Earth all along. Um, but it, it, is that this is Earth, you know, and and you've created this history where it's not reliant on that much on the history of what we know of the Earth. It's but it, it you have this huge history that you built in here. And I have to ask the question. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Did you have the history? Did you have these ideas of the history, and then you built the story at the end of it, or did the history fall into place as you were writing the story? A common question with these, and the truth is, the history came first. Back in high school, I was in grade eleven, and I had this inspiration for a story based on a lot of the pop culture that I was consuming at the time. And I started writing it, but I wasn't writing it on a computer or anything like that. Like we're going back to the early nineties. So I was writing by hand in a Hillroy binder on lined paper, this story. And it was horrible. I freely admit it was horrible. And I can say that because it is no word of a lie sitting three feet to my right, right now, that very same binder, <laughs> but it was a trilogy that I wrote and I was so consumed with writing it that I almost failed grade 11. If it wasn't for an incredibly generous English teacher who took what I had written and used it as like applied learning and allowed me to get through plus doing okay on my exams or else I probably would have failed because of this story. And then I sat on that for a long time, but that started my thinking about this world and how far it can possibly go. And its primary character, who I admit doesn't even appear, he doesn't appear in Catching Hell, and he only appears in one short story in this collection, and you wouldn't even think that he's really that big a deal if you didn't know his full backstory. And crafting this world based on that. So starting from 
all not quite medieval times this these stories start at about the year 1600 so revolutions are beginning in europe and japan which is another popular setting of mine and moving all the way through to this distant future thousands of years from now which is where catching hell comes in i also freely admit that I started at the wrong place. If anybody like how uh, now I'm supposed to go back and everything I write is going to be a prequel, I'm not saying that catching hell is going to be the end. I, I, I highly doubt that, but it's definitely closer to the later part of this timeline. And an, another kind of impetus for writing a lot of these was I was like, well, shit, I've got all these other great little timelines and such. So between conversations gives you snippets of each of these timelines and where certain people or the entire world is at at a certain time so explain to me this at the age of 15 you're sitting in a spiral notebook jotting down furiously with your number two pencil bad idea after bad idea after bad idea failing miserably in the 11th grade Put it aside, graduate high school, uh, become a man, become a husband, become a provider, become a father, uh, become, a, become a, a worker of some kind. At what point does it dawn on you, um, I left something behind that I need to do again? Oh, cutting deep, Dome, cutting deep. Thank you. Uh, I, I asked oh, the good. questions that people want to know. And if people don't want to know, screw them, because I want to know. Well, the it came from two things. One is a serious thing, and one is a completely bullshit hilarious thing. So I'll start with the serious thing first. Cool. A little, a little bit before. Stuff is better. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll end with that. Perfect. So years before, when I started writing Catching Hell, I was working in a job. I, I had kind of found myself unemployed in a recession, so I got myself a job just doing labor. It wasn't anything like I had done before, but had to put food on the table. So I got myself a labor job, which was great for exercise and great for meeting people, but it wasn't stimulating to the brain in any way. Yep. So I'd, I'd I'll, take my laptop. I've worked there, it, all done that. And for it sure. I think we all have to. Do. And yeah. But yeah, so I take my laptop. I work and to this day, I continue to work in a cubicle farm and I found myself an empty cubicle and an empty wing. And I just, was like, well, I'm going to start writing these down. And that eventually became Catching Hell. I just did it for myself. I did it to keep myself entertained. I didn't want to sit there watching YouTube and Netflix all the time or reading somebody else's words. I was like, well, I, I got this idea. I'm going to write it down. And so I did. And then I sat on that for a long time. I'm notorious for this, apparently, where <laughs> I wrote that and I sat on it. But I had written it and my wife was so encouraging. She was really proud of me. She's like, even if you don't release this, you wrote a book and that's amazing. So many people aren't going to take that step. So many people don't have that skill. I'm like, you're right. So that's the serious part of it. I I found myself in a bad way and I needed something to kind of escape from the, from the world that I was in at the time. The funny thing was, uh, I love poutine. I love poutine more than almost anything. Do you guys know what poutine is? I always got to oh, ask that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. gravy okay. and cheese when, when you come to Manchester, New Hampshire, we have the best poutine in the United States here. It's Amazing. Really- Excellent. So that's a good start. So I am 
a po- I am a snobby poutine connoisseur. I freely admit it. Excellent. I had this idea where I wanted to write brief poutine reviews between 500 and 600 words for all the different poutine places here in town. And I took pictures of them. My wife is a graphic designer and has done website work. She designed the website that I have right now. So I'm like, with her help, I can achieve my goal of having somebody pay me to eat poutine. I can get there. I can reach the top of that mountain. So I started writing all these poutine reviews and I had like 20 of them. And I was getting, like, I was trying to accumulate a bunch of them and then I could slowly kind of drip release them on this website. And I realized that I was having a lot of fun doing that writing. And I'm like, well, I've also got this book that I've been sitting on and I could continue to do that kind of thing too. Like I, I got this bug back because by that point, my position in that company had changed. I, I didn't have as much free time and things were looking up. Things were definitely better. So I, instead of like some of the darker things that I was dealing with at the time of catching hell, I'm like, hmm, poutine. Poutine makes me happy. Everything's happy. And I, like I said, it was February 29th of 2016. So it was the leap day and I was sitting uh at my desk and I'm I remember it was like lightning I'm like I can fucking do this like I can nice. go up, I, I can't like I'm I realize that I'm at a point where yeah I have got my family I've got my responsibilities but it's really not that far of a leap for me to just start submitting queries places and finding out what happens and that's exactly what I did and then I started taking those classes at Athabasca and then that's kind of what it turned into so i i came at it late and one part of me is like well i missed so many years that i could have been doing productive writing but on the other side i don't think i would have had the success that i've had up to this point if i jumped on it when i was fresh out of high school i left high do you think you would have been a different writer if you had oh definitely absolutely i would have because the path that i've taken dictates how it is that I write right now. I put the same amount of seriousness into writing the most serious, dark scenes or or rising action in each of my stories that I put into writing those poutine reviews because I was, <laughs> they, they were supposed to be like these witty little bon mots that I was going to start throwing out and I, I was going to create this whole kind of poutine snob persona, which isn't actually a persona, it's actually me. Exactly. <laughs> But I can't let anybody know that. It's like nobody well, takes. Of course not. That well, well, you just did. But I mean, aside from that, yeah. But right. You... But I can come out with it now. I can admit it now, and that, and I'm comfortable with that. But but I have to treat it all the same way. And I don't think I would have had that seriousness. I think I would have had that like bright-eyed optimism that a lot of these kids who are in college or or fresh out of high school that I talk to at uh, conventions or those kinds of things. I think I would have been a lot more like that. And hey those kids are going to change the world and that's good, but I'm not at that point right now. I'm no, your world, later to the game. Your, your world has already changed. It is. It is. And I call myself the anti-author, not because I don't like writing, but because the path I've taken to this point is super bizarre. The success that I had in a short amount of time, I'm appreciative of it, but I also know that it is not the norm. And the way that I approach this writing world, it, I'm left of center, man. I, I absolutely am. And I, I, I lean into that a little bit because I'm not ignorant to the fact that it's easy marketing. But it's also true. And I'm, I'm 
going to present myself as who I am. I, I get the critique a lot, not that I really consider it a critique, but in my in my first story, in my first book, Death Dresses Poorly, it's the story about death trying to recruit a new death and the new death doesn't want to die. This this kid has to die. He's got a tragic backstory. It, it is urban fantasy, dark comedy, but I get it all the time like, Mark, I love your book. It was a great read. I cannot get your voice out of my head when I'm reading this. I don't get that as much with Catching Hell. Uh, but when people read Death Dresses poorly, they're like, this is a great read. It's really entertaining. It's you. It's you at 20 versus you at 50 or 60 years old. Like, it's, So it, it's, what? It's, and I, oh, I know. And the, and they're like, well, like there's, there's not enough distinction. I've had this this exact critique before there's not enough distinction between you mark the author and the characters that are in your book and i'm like have you read no no that's that is such bullshit if you look back at some of the best writers of fiction and fantasy in the world i defy you to look at somebody like ray bradbury and get ray bradbury's voice out of the martian chronicles exactly exactly i defy you to look at anything arthur clark ever wrote Fiction-wise, now fact-wise, that's a different story. But fiction-wise, and get his voice out of it. You can hear him fucking lecture you because that's what it's there for. It's true. It, it was a it was a strange critique at the time, but I've heard variations of that since then. And most of the time, it's like, yeah, no, well, this is just Mark reading me a story. But other times, it's like, oh, you have like, I can, I can see why this is your first book. Even though I will say that Death Dresses Poorly, although it was my first release, it was not my quote unquote first book. Catching Hell was, but I lived in the world of Catching Hell for five <laughs> years after writing it and editing it, putting it away and bringing it back. And I got rid of a character, and then I put other characters in. I I went on this journey with this to the point where after five years, I was sick of that story I, I was sick of a world that i created and lived in since i was 15 years old i was like i'm done with this and then i wrote death dresses poorly and it took six weeks to write it edit it and send the query out and it was picked up by fluky fiction who i mentioned earlier who had a shorter release window than by that point catching hell had been picked up by a publisher up in canada and because i had a shorter release window although it was a book i wrote second it well it came out third. first third it it ended up coming out first so it was this weird again like i can't even release a book right man like i like <laughs> like i've got this great big epic story and then also i have death dresses poorly which i'm super proud of i think I, even still i mean as vain as it is for me to say it i read that and i'm like that's fucking funny right there i'm really glad i wrote that and i i couldn't even get this release out like i i can i can put out this giant epic science fantasy like catching hell part one catching hell part two followed shortly after they were both released in the same year just the beginning and the end and even how that came about was super bizarre but i got it all out but people picked up on death dresses poorly first it had like a, a it's got a cover that pops and it's got a unique name and it's not a very common genre this urban fantasy dark comedy thing I, I always say it's like douglas adams but with a lot more swearing and uh, and i'm okay with like it's got that same kind of vibe to it right okay well well i need a review copy of that too as well then so screw it i will send it through oh man so so 
So what are you doing now, man? You've got you've got three and a half books. <laughs> I do, and uh, it. And, and I mean, you're past the point. You you're you're over the hill like me. Congratulations. <laughs> it's true. So you got to get this stuff in now, man. I mean, yeah. right now I'm borrowed time. So are, uh, are, I, you, are, are you thinking like, you know, paranormal romance next or something? Oh. <laughs> it's, funny <laughs> it's funny you should mention that. Oh, I, no, you have another, don't you dare. No, you have another oh, story. No, I have another please. story that I've been working on. It, it, it is, you know, I am not, I wouldn't be offended if you called it paranormal romance. I wouldn't oh, be shit. at all. No, no, it's, it, I, I am working on something else right now. It's something that, again... As I'm notorious for, I started writing it. I came out like a house of fire, and then I put it away for a little while. But I didn't get this one finished. Uh, it's a it's a story I wrote because I wanted to write something that my wife would enjoy, and she's she's not much of a reader. Not saying that in a detriment. She's just that's not who she is. A, a lot like my kids, they find other ways to consume their stories, and that's okay. But I wanted to write something like I bet she'd probably like a story like this. So it's a uh, it's a I'm going to call it a paranormal mystery. It was inspired a lot by things like uh, the leftovers, the 1100, that kind of thing. And I picked it up again a couple of weeks ago, and I've started getting through a bunch of a bunch of chapters with that. And so I, I want to finish that. I think I think it deserves to be finished. I was always kind of worried about the ending for it. I know how it wants to end. And I've been like cowardly about it, and and you can roast me about it all you want, but I didn't think I was good enough to write the ending that I wanted. But I don't know unless I try. So here I go. So I'm going to get through that, and I still have. You cannot imagine the number of stories in this in what I call the Ryujin world that that between conversations and catching hell take place in that I am eager to tell it. it, it it's my dark tower, man. Like I, I got to get through this before I die. I, I have to. It, it truly is. I mean, I can just from reading between conversations, I'm looking at this going, this guy has so much material that he could be writing. He could be, he could jump back into all these. Cause like in the stories you're talking about, there's the five fall, the four falls of man. Yes. And I'm thinking you could jump back through time through several of those and just tell whole epic sweeping stories in each one of those ages. Yeah, you've got so much fun material here. I would love to, you know, just see some more of some of these characters that we meet only briefly in the short stories. And and that's that's kind of what I wanted to do. Like I set this these stories up so they can take place in and around these events, these falls of man, as I have called them. Primarily the second, third, and fourth one. Those ones are the ones that really shape the stories that I'm making. And so we hear about them in between conversations, or they're alluded to happening somewhere else in the world, or that they happened a few hundred years ago. I want to tell the stories of how those things happened. I absolutely have those stories, and I know I know how I want them to to get laid out, but they're going to end up like Catching Hell, where both part one and part two together are about 225,000 words. So it's going to take me some time, but I, I'm getting more comfortable in my writing habits, especially these days. Like I know when I can and when I can't when I'm the most productive and it it's exciting to be sitting here and saying like okay now I've got connections and now I know people and and now I'm a part of this world in earnest 
let's keep going. Let me tell you about the second fall of man, the third fall of man, all of these things. And let me expand on this world a little bit more for you. So my guess is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but not publicly. Mm. Nobody should ever do that publicly. Uh, <laughs> but you've got books hanging around with short stories, parts of stories, beginnings of stories, ideas for stories that you've kind of gone. I'd really like to see how this one turns out. And you get maybe 100 pages into it, maybe 20 pages into it. Maybe you don't get any more than character studies out of it. And then you you kind of look through them every once in a while and go, bingo, let's try this one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, and I I can say that sometimes they morph, right? Sometimes they change. I wanted to do an entire standalone story. The very first full story in this is that a conversation alive again. And it involves a character who I love to death named Nixon Ash, who is a phoenix, who is a very prominent part of my Catching Hell series. But this is taking you back to the start of this version of Nixon Ash. I wanted to make Alive Again a book. I wanted to make it its own thing. I wanted to I wanted to have it as like a stand a side story. They call them uh, gaiden in Japanese writing and Japanese storytelling. It's like like it it doesn't involve the main plot, but it involves a main character. It expands the world a little bit. But then I was like, well, I have a bunch of little like snippets like that. I'm not going to turn all of the I'm not going to turn like flow slither and and low level buzz into full stories yes you are <laughs> i well not not in the not in the the not not, sense, not in that particular but I, I, but I turned them into short stories yeah right and, so and, i took a, a lot of those ideas more of them I, I i i i i get the idea that this is why you write to finish the ideas that you've already started. It is because I've got them in my head and from what sample size I've given out to the world, I'm, I'm a big fan of the saying, or the, at least the motto, I want to put the stories from my head into your hands. And you can think whatever you want about it because at the end of the day, again, vanity be damned, you're going to love it. You're going to hate it. But I'm not really going to care because I went out there and I did it. I did it my way. I told the story I wanted to tell. And you're either going to like it or you're not. It's not up for me to decide. And I'm not going to sit down with a focus group to tell me what it was that I did wrong in this one. So maybe on the next one, you got to add more of this character. No, fuck that. I want to just put these stories out. And now that I have done that with some of my stories with, with three books and uh, I've got uh, two published short stories and I've got uh, the short story collection on the way. So it will be out in September. Then there's the, even if the audience is small, even if the audience is one person, the audience is still there. So now that makes me hungrier to get these stories out there. Just like you're saying, like I'm, I've, I've had the taste of it. I want to get more. Uh, I am a I am a drug to my own vanity. There you go. It's, it's not your own vanity, and it's not your own hubris. It's it's 
in many ways, it's your like addiction. Writing is an addiction. It, there's it no, is. There's no question about it. And, uh, you know, I fall as much into it uh, as as any writer does because it's a, it's it's fascinating to me. Absolutely fascinating to me uh, because each writer's uh, process, each writer's concept, each writer's uh, need is very different. I mean, and some are so pedestrian that it drives me crazy. And some like yours are so synesthetic that it drives me insane. <laughs> so, so six questions, but only six more. <laughs> okay, that's okay. Uh, what's next? What are you working on now? Up next, I want to finish this this story that I started for my wife because I think I think it's time for me to finish it. I don't think I'm going to get a whole lot more out of it when it comes to my education, and I think it's a story that deserves to be written because I'm now that I'm back into it, it's a little hammy, and I I admit that I lean hard into tropes because tropes are why we read a lot of the things that we read because we enjoy those tropes, and if we don't, then we don't read those things. So I want to finish that, and I already have, hmm, I'm going to say, probably about 30,000 words of the sequel to Catching Hell. And I think once I'm done with this one that I want to write, which is currently titled 1213, as in like the time 1213, I, I want to jump back into my Ryujin world with something a little bit more substantial than my between conversations. Can't wait to read your paranormal romance. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's paranormal, but there's definitely some romance involved. It's just it's a it, it's a unique story. It's not. I'm not one going day, full Twilight here, but one day we'll sit down over a bottle of cold ale, and I'll tell you the paranormal romance stories. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> Have shaped my world. <laughs> um, we 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 talked a little bit, and I can't remember whether it was prior to the show, or or when we actually started the interview, about uh, meeting people at conventions and stuff. And this year, it has been particularly non-happening. Thank mm -hmm. you, Mr. Pandemic. Uh, is there a Mr. Pandemic? We'll never know. Probably. Uh, probably some asshole yeah. somewhere. Yeah, uh, I believe he, he's down below your border, living the, in. The, oh, never mind. The, never mind. I haven't we, seen. A, I haven't seen a pandemic Chen. Isn't that what Japan does? Is they make like cute anthropomorphic. Oh God. Girls for oh, like everything. God. I'm sure there's a pandemic Chen. I'm sure there's a coronavirus Chen oh, no. somewhere. Manga. No. Yeah, there has to be. Oh God, help us! But there will be tomorrow now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, so has it been weird for you not being able to like go to public events and do those kinds of things that that help you touch base with your your audience and your I, your I, I, readers? How, how how does that happen now? What do you what are you doing? I'm, to 
lucky in that because I came at it so late, my my basis is very low. There is one writers conference here in Calgary that happens every year. It's called When Words Collide, and I've been attending it for years, and it has been huge for me when it comes to networking and that kind of thing. So obviously it was canceled this year, and it was just this last weekend oh. because it or at least it would have been if it was in person. Right. However, the uh, the organizer, Randy McCharles, and his team did an outstanding job in creating as much of that atmosphere as they could and making it online and setting up Zoom panels and those kinds of things. So I made a comment to the group this morning that like, although I spent the weekend at home, it feels like I was running around the hotel going from like, one meeting or interview or pitch or all the rest of that like it oh, felt wonderful that's great because so, sometimes those things really suck it, they, they can and honestly and i've heard this feedback from a lot of people who have come from all around canada and all around north america and even the world that when words collide is a fantastic well-run excellently organized and interesting, like you're you're going to find something that it is that you want. It's a lot better than a lot of other writing conventions I've either been a part of or I've heard of. On the flip side of that, I don't sell a lot of stuff there, and I do the most of my sales at uh, like comic expos and those kinds of things. And that that was canceled this year, and right. I wasn't able to go to the Calgary Expo, which is our big one up here, which is the one of the biggest ones in Canada, and that hurt, especially because I'd already ordered the stock and I'd already gotten ready with my, my oh, table course. partner, yeah. my table partner, Susie Vidori, and she was ready to go and I was ready to go. And it's like, nope, it's done. Or, well, actually it, it got bumped around a little bit first. It's like, okay, well now it's going to be in the summer. Now we might do it late summer. Now it's canceled. Yeah. And so that did hurt. Same so shit's it, been happening down here with virtually everything. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I, I was lucky enough that the people who put When Words Collide together hit it out of the park. They, they did the best they possibly could with the hand that they had been dealt, and I couldn't be more thankful for it. But on the other hand, those conventions, when I'm out there for four days and I'm shaking hands with people and I'm selling books and I'm getting to see the face of the actual readers and, and not necessarily just my contemporaries, that is huge too. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to do it again because that provides so much fuel for the passion to write there's a big empty spot isn't there there is there absolutely is and i mean i'm pretty easy to reach in social media and websites and those kinds of things but it's it's not the same as shaking somebody's hand and saying man thank you so much for buying one of my books i really appreciate it whether you love it or hate it you 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 put money down on my ideas and i couldn't be more thankful for it to to our listeners, just be aware of the fact that we'll have links uh, to to Mark's website, to where you can buy his stuff, uh, to where you can send him emails and stuff, and and uh, um, all all I can tell you is this: um, Mark is not everybody's cup of tea. That goes without saying. But I am telling you right now that everybody should taste it. You may not like it, but you should taste it because, God damn it, it's different and it's fun. It's something that most of you may not go back to, but it's something that 
once you taste it, you may just kind of go, holy shit, this is, this is, this is a place I want to be. This is, this is a place where, you know, we've taken you to a couple of places like this before, like the Philip K. Dick Film Festival, you know, places like that. Hmm. Places out of the ordinary, places that you don't really hear that much about, that you don't really know that much about. But we want you to experience that. We want you to know more about. Um, this is cool shit we like, guys. And Mark, thank you so much for joining us tonight, truly. I appreciate it, Noam. I really do. Thank you so much for giving me this chance to talk to you. It was a ton of fun, man. And uh, when that paranormal romance is ready, my friend, <laughs> you're, you're coming back. You're number one with a bullet. It's coming right to you. And I'm going to make fun of you for it, too. That's okay. <laughs> and I, will, I, I deserve it, and I, I will own it. I will wear it like a warm coat. And we will enjoy the hell out of it. Thanks so much, man. Thank you. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con. Plastic City Comic Con, and the Upper Valley Comic Expo. We are also sponsored by Dreamforge Magazine, a superb magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and Comic Art House. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. And if you're looking for a really great gift book for that rapidly approaching semi-annual Fairbanks Melt Day celebration, consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, my Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. My Peculiar Family, the audiobook, is available on Audible, because I'm not sure where else you could find it. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. For more of his amazing stuff, just look at robwattsonline.com. And don't forget to try the Watts sauce we have. We love it. Our outro was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry, their grooves can be found on lawrencemademecry.com. And a whole lot of love to Jojo and Celine. Many thanks to the gang from his booking books. Thank you, Captain Cam. This is Dome saying, Terry and Jeannie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Better things are coming, Stacy. Stay strong, Liz. So, unless it's daytime. Good night, everybody. <laughs>